Welcome to Occasional Randomness. We are continuing our voyage through the TV series Farscape. For our prior episodes on Farscape, you can go to our website, occasionalrandomness.podbean.com. So we continue cruising through Season 3. This time, Season 3, Episode 5, Different Destinations. Or actually, to be specific, dot, 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 different destinations. And Episode 6, Eat Me. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me as always, my fellow co-host, somebody who loves a good meal, Jason Johnson. Yeah, I definitely love a good meal, but don't mind me, I've just been twinned a few too many times. Yeah, that make Thanksgiving pretty fun. Yeah. It, it's just a table of me's, you know, we all like the same thing, so it, it works out, you know, just just our favorite dishes. Yeah, just make the same thing and you're good. Yeah, a couple of Athens here and there and we're all good. We'll get more into that a little bit later. <laughs> As uh, we are recording this the day before Halloween, and that kind of fit right into the Halloween-y kind of theme, so it was kind of a nice coincidence. Yeah, we didn't plan this since we obviously, well, I obviously don't know anything about the episodes we're watching, but that was good timing, so pretty funny. Yeah, got our own Halloween ghoul story that we'll cover here shortly. Ghoul's night. (laughs) Ghoul's trip. (laughs) (laughs) But first... Season 3, Episode 5, dot, 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 different destinations. No semicolon, but just three dots. The dots are important. That's right. Have to be specific here. They matter, not like crackers. That's right. All right, we kick off with Moya orbiting a planet while she's still being repaired from all the damage from last episodes. Crichton, Aaron, Dargo, Stark, and Jewel, or I guess it's probably easier to say everybody but Chiana, Rigel, and Pilot, are on the surface, which is the location of a peace memorial from a great peacekeeper battle in history. Crichton makes Dargo put on some goggles, which allow them to see, through a time rift, or time tear, events in the past as they unfolded. So yeah, I'm sure that's not something that's going to be dangerous here in a minute. Aaron tells Jewel that 30 peacekeepers lost their lives defending a group of nurses and children from a group called the Venic Horde. Jewel doesn't buy it, though, and says it's just peacekeeper propaganda for morons. But Aaron tells her the man who made the peace, sub-officer Dacon, is a hero among the peacekeepers. So what you're saying is Jules fitting right in. Got it. Yep, we're already arguing back and forth. Welcome to Farscape. Back on Moya, Chiana finds Rigel in Zan's quarters, and both say they're there to steal whatever is left, but neither can bring themselves to do it. Back on the planet, Stark tells Crichton, rather sadly, that Zan bought his new clothes he's wearing for him, and says he no longer hears her voice. Crichton tries to snap him out of it and makes him put on the goggles, but he sees so much death and is quickly overwhelmed. Suddenly, the goggles and what's behind his mask interact, and before they can recover, the goggles make a huge flash of light, which blinds them all, and then when they regain their sight, they're in the old monastery, and Jewel comments how real it all looks, when suddenly, flaming arrows shoot over the wall, one of which, of course, pierces Jewel's arm. Again, welcome to Farscape. They run for cover. Uh, Crichton says he thinks Stark's mask may have pulled them into the past. Duh. And Dargo says, anything they change here may change the future. That doesn't sound ominous at all. Yeah, so apparently everybody knows the first rule of time travel. Don't change the future. (laughs) (laughs) They're soon confronted by a group of peacekeepers, prompting Aaron to say that they're here also as reinforcements. The commander, Officer Tarn, says that the Horde is jamming pulse weapons, so grab a spear and join the fight. Speaking of which, uh, the Horde suddenly jumps over the wall and starts attacking the people. Officer Tarn and all the peacekeepers except Officer Dacon die in the aborted attack. Oops. Back on Moya, Pilot calls Chiana to command, saying that Moya just received a request from the planet to break orbit, spoken in basic Venic vernacular. Chiana says she thought the Venic abandoned the planet 500 cycles ago, and Pilot says yeah, he thought that too, but not anymore. Back on the planet in the past, 
Crichton asks Aaron what her data device is. It says all but one peacekeeper was wiped out. Sub-Officer Dacon dies when he's on the wall sending a ceasefire message. She says that the Venic General Grinds saw how the battle went with only women and children left and convinces the other generals to offer a ceasefire. Darko goes to get Jewel and Stark to find the time tear so they can get out of there. And Aaron tells Crichton that she's found out her pulse pistols still work. I guess because they're in from the future, so whatever they're jamming it in the past, I guess they've had some technology mods in the last 500 years. Dacon finds one of the Horde members still alive, but when Crichton pulls back his hood, he sees that it is General Grimes. <gasps> Meanwhile, Aaron goes to speak with Dacon and asks if he's been an officer long, relaying some of his accomplishments. He reveals that Tarn was a nobleman and always gave credit away, and he's not really a soldier at all, he's just a cook. He says he was scared he would be left as a ranking officer, so he's glad she turned up so she can take command. Meanwhile, Stark does find the terror, and Dargo tries to push the reluctant jewel through it, but she smacks off a wall, which doesn't go as planned. He tries again, and this time he succeeds, and she goes through the time terror and lands in the mud, back in the future. She sees some Venic symbols draped over the walls, and screams to Stark that it's not the same as before, but Stark already feels billions dead. He doesn't want to find the terror anymore, and tells them all that he felt thousands, millions, billions dead, but not the same ones he felt when they first came through. Causing Crichton to realize that they're changing the future after all. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. He says he has a cunning plan, though, and Aaron argues with him that it won't work. It never works. And when the Horde attacks, she'll really show them her way to get a ceasefire. Because that wouldn't change it at all. Yeah, <laughs> because, hey. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the future, Jewel is all back on Moya, annoying Chiana. Surprise. When Pilot says that apparently, devastated by conflict, the planet is still inhabited, but only by a fraction of the population that was there before. He says Moya's data stores say that a vicious war claimed millions of lives. Back in the past, Crichton asks Grinds why this place is so important, and Grinds says that the Horde is bloodthirsty, almost uncontrollable, but he tries not to be. He says that their water supply has dried out, and the mountain that this fort is on is the source of the river where the water comes from, and the Horde will kill to get it. Grinds says that while there are soldiers here, the Horde will not offer a ceasefire. Crichton says, don't worry, there won't be any soldiers here much longer. He says that he'll let Grinds go so long as the Horde does not harm the women and children. So Crichton's cunning plan is to dress up Grinds in, the, in a nurse's outfit to get him safely over the wall. Grinds thanks Crichton, but as he's climbing out, of course, he's shot dead by Kelsa, one of the nurses, who calls Crichton a traitor. The nurses tie up Crichton, and Dargo and Aaron are very angry with him, saying that they did not know what his plan was. Kelsa wants to kill Crichton, but Stark stops her. She doesn't believe that Grinds wanted to make peace, but Centrina, her daughter, Ask her mother not to kill anybody else. Crichton says that the Venic leaders are desperate for, to offer peace if the nurses give them a sign, and he promises they won't be hurt. Sounds about right. Yeah, we'll see. A communication from the Venics is shot over the wall, and the general says that they could accept the death of the general in battle, but to disgrace him in a female's clothes is not acceptable, and at dawn, their severed heads will be nailed to the walls. So things are going great. I'm sure that doesn't have any kind of impact on the future. Nah, everything's fine. It's all under control. While Crichton's chained up to the statue in the middle of the courtyard, uh, we cut to Harvey suddenly appearing next to Crichton, playing a somber melody on harmonica, and also wearing cowboy boots, having been subconsciously summoned to help Crichton work out a way to restore the timeline. Harvey speaks of the elasticity of time. Rather than timelines being fragile things like is what commonly believed, they're actually quite adaptable. If they get the events close enough to what happened, the outcome is likely to be the same. But Harvey warns the timeline will vector further away from the one they knew when the Horde attacks. And, but he won't make any suggestions about what they should do. He just tells Crichton, do better, and goes back to playing the harmonica. 
Baron has convinced Dacon, meanwhile, to record a message offering surrender in the hope that it'll work. Crichton tells her that the better way would be to, to let Dacon die, and when she says she doesn't want that, he says it's up to them to do something. Sandrina tells Dargo that her father wasn't scary like Dargo looks, and her mother says that when loved ones die, they must be remembered forever. She asks Dargo if someone will remember her when she's dead, and he tells her to make a mark in the stone to guarantee it, and hands her his dagger to do so. Meanwhile, Dacon has recorded the message, and Aaron goes up to fire it. Dacon says that he'll do it, as it'd be better for him to get hurt rather than her. Aaron and Crichton watch on, knowing what's to come. And of course, Dacon goes up to the wall to send the message. Aaron tells him he's a soldier, a brave hero, but he denies it, and says heroes always get killed. And yes, as of course you would think, he throws the spear over the wall, and is shot by an arrow, and falls off the wall dead. A hero. Uh, a hero, yeah. <laughs> On Moya, the remaining crew discover that the planet is now completely lifeless, having been irradiated during the war. So that didn't work either. <laughs> Those nurses must fight back pretty fiercely. I guess. It took a whole planet. Uh, Stark can no longer find the timed hair when the Vedics begin to attack again. Aaron's upset about Dacon, but Crichton convinces her to untie him. When Kelso objects, Aaron tells him he also has a working pulse pistol. Another battle ensues as back on Moya, Pilot tells the others that the planet is now gone. So Chiana goes out to look for it. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, because it just walk, walked away. I don't know. <laughs> uh, back in the past, there's a raging battle with nurses and Venex being killed all over the place. Aaron and Crichton shooting everything in sight with their pulse pistols. And eventually, with so many dead, the Venex end up retreating, which causes the time terror to reappear. And Stark senses no deaths. They've restored the timeline. Yay. Before they leave, Dargo says goodbye to Sandrina, saying he may see her again when he grows up, when she grows up. Crichton tells Kelsa that the Horde won't attack if the soldiers are gone, and he promises they'll be safe when they leave. Okay, we'll find out about that in a minute. And back in the present on Moya, or on the planet, I guess, Chiana tells Aaron all about the changes they witnessed on Moya, but now nothing's changed at all except one thing. And Aaron says that the terror is unstable. Stark try, but they cannot go back and change things anymore. Chiana asks if Crichton knows that, and Aaron says yeah, and she will get him back on Moya. Aaron looks at the memorial, which now shows all the nurses, most prominently Kelsa and her daughter, Centrina, and then goes to Crichton, who says that he screwed up. She says they did the best they could, but he asks why they do that. What's the point? Her only answer is there probably was no point. And we see through the goggles the Venic horde leader asking Kelsa and the nurses where the pulse weapons are. But when she says that Crichton had them, but they escaped, he says he needs to give the horde something. They're bloodthirsty. As she calls for Crichton, the general cannot control the horde, and all the nurses and children are slaughtered. The memorial no longer commemorates the peace, but instead the nurses that lost their lives. Craig and Aaron are saddened by the new results, and Dargo takes one last look at the wall before they leave, and he sees Centrina's mark on it. The end. Mm. Some trivia about this episode. Uh, as you might expect from last episode, Virginia Hay is no longer in the credits as of this episode, although the actress that plays Jewel is not yet in the credits. A full-size courtyard was built on the lot for this episode, complete with sand and a giant statue. Uh, when Harvey leans back and props his cowboy boots on the table, the name Andy can be seen clearly on the bottom of his boot, an homage to Pixar's Toy Story. Ben Browder wrote that on the boots. I did not see that. I should go back and take a look at that. It also makes me wonder if there was a snake in them. Oh, wait. Well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> There's a snake in my boot. <laughs> Scorpius, Scorpius. Anyway. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Do we need Now do we need to do a, a, a line that which character is who in Toy Story? Yeah, we can think about that one, yeah. <laughs> Jill's behavior was suggested by Tammy McIntosh, the actress, who thought that being drunk would be a good side effect for the pain medicine slash urine that she drank. 
Peter Andrakides, the director, stated that the episode remain, reminded him of the Back to the Future trilogy with a much darker twist. The scenes on the battlements were high off the floor, close to 15 feet up. So that's good. So it really was a big life-size kind of set. And significantly, this is the first episode in which John is shown explicitly seeking Harvey's counsel regarding potential options, although Harvey declines politely. All right, so that was our uh, not-so-good time travel story. Jason, <laughs> what do you think? Well, I think overall it was one of the, the better episodes. I mean, I, I thought it was good. It definitely caught me off guard with how dark it was. You know, we've, we've joked around about this being the Halloween, uh, you know, I don't know. At least when we're recording this, it's the day before, like you said. And so it, it kind of fits with the, the time of year. But normally, you know, especially when you have these time travel things or, or bottle episodes, all that kind of stuff, it it's um, pretty self-contained. Everything gets fixed by the end and we kind of move on. And while we can discuss later if there's actually any repercussions out of this episode, we definitely didn't get a happy ending, right? I mean, everything didn't get to be put back the way it was. Yeah, and we'll cover that here in a minute, because, yeah, it's definitely not your normal time travel story that you see everywhere. But I guess, since that's the main point of the episode, we'll just get the, like, kind of one-off thing out of the way first, since not much happened on Moya, other than them saying, wow, look, stuff's changed. So <laughs> <laughs> so other than that, the only real thing that happened was, of course, Rigel's in Sans quarters, looking through her stuff, looking for stuff to snurch, as they say on Farscape. And he thinks Chiana's up to the same thing when she comes in, because that's her thing, too. But they t- twist it this time where you, know, you can tell from her face that that's not what she was there for. And then Rigel kind of basically says the same thing, that he doesn't really want anything. So I, I guess even Rigel's greed has limits. Or maybe more importantly, shows that he really does care for Zan or cared for Zan as a person and a friend. Yeah, I agreed. It's nice to have the crew still dealing with, with that large of a loss, right? I mean, that was a, a big deal for the, them, the crew and for the, them as a family. And it's nice for them to just, you know, oh, we've got a new crew member. Let's move on. Everything's good now. Yeah, because you know, Moya is so large that, you know, they don't have to, like, reuse someone's quarters, right? So they, they can leave her stuff there or anybody's stuff. And just usually Rigel, you know, sneaks off with it. But, you know, this time, apparently, yeah, he's really, I guess that his friendship cuts through his greed. So it's nice to see that, yeah, that it meant something. You know, he's growing as a character. Yeah, as long as we ignore the fact that he did try to jump out of the wormhole and leave them all behind last time. So, you know. Yeah, there is that too. So, <laughs> so I guess now that he's stuck there again, he's showing some growth that he's not going to steal their stuff. <laughs> so, he'll give them that much, right? Right. So, all right, so that's pretty much the entire plot line back on Moya. So enough of that. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> yeah, so back to the real plot or the main plot. So this is kind of like your, your typical base under siege story uh, with a time travel kind of twist. It had like a like an Alamo look and feel to it, which is kind of kind of cool. I guess you know that's why Harvey's wearing cowboy boots and playing harmonica. Yeah, he got the much larger team laying siege to a small t- team, and of course, like I said before, everybody apparently knows the first rule of time travel: don't mess things up and affect the future. Although, yeah, that didn't quite go so well. Yeah, it's kind of neat because I do always like to see what are the rules of time travel in different universes. You know, everybody kind of puts their own spin on it, and. You know, in some I've seen some where it's like the the past is already written. It, it wouldn't be the past if you could change it. And obviously, this is not that one, right? This is the one where you know just being there automatically flips it because they reinforce the characters just by telling her them that Aaron's rank. She becomes the ranking officer, right? It, it's it's an immediate uh, flip and and change, and we see that impact as we go. So it's kind of kind of a neat take. I will admit, maybe I just you know have trouble picking up on the threads at the start of these episodes, but 
uh, I was kind of shaky on what the original history was. Uh, once they got sent back in time and they start kind of talking it through, I got a better idea. But I, I don't know. It was it was kind of other than the argument between um, Jewel and and Aaron about you know the peacekeeper history. You really don't know anything about what happened before you jump back. Yeah, that's like a one-off line that you know. Oh, you know, thirty peacekeepers held this fort against you know whatever untold thousands of Venix, and you know this one guy was. I guess the one that kept them all together and he's the big peacekeeper hero, which, yeah, you know, of course, you know, history is written by the victors, right? So they can make it seem like, you know, one guy changed everything and, you know, held everybody together and was the great you know, leader and all that good stuff. Yeah, as we find out, uh, no, dude was just a cook. So yeah. <laughs> things don't always are the way you think they are. Don't believe everything you read, right? <laughs> yep. I guess once they realize that, yeah, a, a, you know, a cook's not going to get them out of this, the, the crew does come up with some good ideas, at least in theory, to get things back on track. Maybe if they would have communicated better, maybe a combination of Crichton freeing the general and then Aaron having Dacon send that message might have done it. But then, of course, you, know, you, got, you got the one nurse that, I guess, killed the general. So maybe if you would have told him ahead of time, you might be able to talk her out of it. Although she seemed like she's really going to kill people anyway, no matter what. So I don't know if that would have worked or not. Yeah, I was, I was going to say there's always that one nurse that wants to be a hero because, you know, I, I, you know first responders in general are always heroes. But, yeah, this was a, a pretty bloodthirsty nurse. So that was <laughs> she, she, didn't, she didn't mean a good a person she didn't want to kill in this episode. So, But you're, you're correct. You're right. There, there were some good ideas. Of course, our team of, you know, we've grown together. We, we're friends. We're family. We can do anything is right back to not communicating, and we pay for it. Yeah, you know, they just would have explained the plan to each other. Yeah, but then again, you know, it is Farscape and the Farscape crew, like they said to themselves, you know, how often do our things work? So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> no. Yeah, and, and and they never split up. Oh, wait, that's next episode. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, never split or subsplit the party, <laughs> but we'll get there. Yes, yeah, so like like we talked about on a little before, yeah, this is definitely the, the twist on the usual time travel ending of stories where, you know, everything gets put back exactly like it was and no one remembers anything except the people that were there. Or there's this little tiny changes that, but somehow they seem to work out even better for people. But no, not this time. You know, everything does come out the same, which I'm not quite sure how that's possible. But anyway, but this time all the civilians and nurses and children died. So that's not exactly good. But yeah, I guess, like you said, in, in their universe of sci-fi, you know, Harvey says that timelines are adaptive. So if you get it close to what happened, it usually comes out the same way. So, you know, that's... It's, it's, a, it's a different twist. I like it. You know, so Farscape once again breaks the mold of usual science fiction stories. Although I'm still confused how what happened on the planet only stayed on the planet and Moya and crew up at Moya could see it all happening. Like it didn't, didn't affect like the whole universe. I, I, don't, I don't know. But hey, it was something different. So it was it was cool. Well, and, and try not to think too hard about Jewel jumping back in time to the changed planet, but then ending up on Moya somehow. Anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Especially when the planet disappeared. It's like, wait, Jewel was where? You know? so, yeah. What planet? It just yeah, disappeared. Yeah, we, we threw it through, the, through the, the time gap and she's just floating in space now. It's no big deal. But yeah, I, I did really like the aspect of, of the change subverting expectations. It, it actually hit me harder than I, I expected. You know, we always like you say, see a, a corrected ending or maybe you jump back and, and the statue now has Crichton's face on it or, or, or Aaron's face instead of one of the previous people and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, other than that, everything's fine. No, this this time it, it really didn't work out. And 
we see our, our crew and our, you know, like us shaken at the end as, as things are just kind of lives that would have continued are no longer there. Yeah. And also, if you don't think about it too hard, yeah, because the people that died didn't before. So, you know, they had lives and descendants and they had descendants and so on and so on. So, yeah, like, you know, people don't exist anymore that would have existed or did exist. If you think, you know, whatever. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a little, as they say in Doctor Who, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. But I guess, I guess Harvey's right. I guess if he got close enough, more or less, it doesn't matter. So, okay. I guess nobody in those descendants became anything special or invented something new that nobody invented before or whatever. So, yeah, 400 years later, those people really, uh, they're kind of like crackers. Yeah, just average. Yeah, they'll, yeah, right, they'll matter. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, we, we do get some you know, overall like touching scenes with the, the crew talking to the different people. One that comes to mind is Dargo talking to Centrina, the, the little girl, that you know if you, you can leave your mark on the wall and you'll be remembered forever. So you figure that you know he would find that when they get back to the real time. And you were at first kind of hoping that she'd be there too, since she said that her people can live up to 700 cycles. So that was only like 500 cycles ago when this thing happened. So she might have been there when he showed up again in the future, but no, she's dead. Yeah, if if it had been a, a typical sci-fi show of the time, you know, this that's exactly what would have happened, right? That had jumped back in time. Stark says, "Oh, you know, the, the deaths are gone. We can we can go back," and they they jump back through, and she'd have been there waiting for them. Now that she remembers them, right? So she'd have, she'd have known to be there looking for Dargo, and instead, yeah, that's not what we got. Yeah, I don't know if you ever saw this this movie. It was it's called The Final Countdown. I think it's like back in the eighties, about like an, I, now I hear the song. But yeah, no. but no, it's different. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> it? Wasn't that one? It's <laughs> same name, not the same thing. But no, it's it's for like a like a modern day aircraft carrier goes back in time to like right before Pearl Harbor and how they have to try not to mess with history and get back and but they wind up like leaving some people behind and then when they get back to the future, they f- this limo pulls up and the one guy from the ship you know gets summoned over to it and it's one of the people that they left behind obviously who's been there for the last 40 years who i guess sent him on the ship so that he would go back in time because they knew what's going to happen so that he would you know so that they would keep the loop going like you know to keep it the same you know so they wouldn't affect anything it's that kind of deal how's like that kind of thing would happen where you know he'd come back and she's like you know dargo yeah <laughs> <laughs> but oh well we don't get touching stuff in farscape too much so there you go <laughs> Well, and when we do, it usually uh, doesn't work out too well when you get to the end of the episode. So. Yeah, kind of backfires. And yeah, we get some other nice little scenes with our crew interacting with the people in the fort. Again, you know, Dargo and Stark are being nice with the nurses and children, you know, showing their that they have a gentler side, or I guess in Stark's case, a less crazy side. And then we got you know Aaron and Dacon. You know, she's trying to puff him up into like the hero that her history told her he was, so that he would act heroically. And well, yeah, I guess he did kind of. He kind of fulfilled his purpose. So he. Did, did the thing got shot for it so okay yeah and, and i think that's the part of this that i don't know that it would have made a full two-parter right two episode uh two-parter but i would have uh, really enjoyed them actually taking some time to flesh out the history angle right like you know they start the, the background comment that kind of starts it all is them arguing about whether the history was accurate or if it was peacekeeper propaganda and we find out that you know she's a little surprised by his skills you know the actual history when she gets back, but yet he still does kind of fulfill the role, right? They get him up on the wall. He gets killed. Yeah. It may not have the heroic effect it had the first time around, but you know, that part of history, they at least kept, but you know, it'd have been interesting to find out some more about the peacekeeper purpose. Why were they there? What was, what was going on? Stuff that really probably didn't matter for 
a short episode, but it would have been interesting to, to build on expand the universe, you know. So. Yeah, or somehow they got like a hold of Peacekeeper history now, and it's, it's the same kind of thing as what she remembers, right? Did, did something change enough where he wasn't the hero now, or something else happened? I'd, yeah, I'd be curious. But well, like I said, people don't matter. So <laughs> yeah, obviously the nurses didn't make it, so there's probably nothing for him to be the hero of. So yes, now it's a memorial that I guess these brave nurses stood up to the horde and got killed. That's probably it now. So yeah, maybe there's no peacekeeper history now with that. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Anything else about our timey wimey not so happy ending? Before we get to the next not so happy ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since, since we need to move on to something more positive, but no, I, I mean I could nitpick a little bit about the planet disappearing or becoming toxic, you know, how, how did the horde go from getting defeated by a couple people with two blaster rifles to, or pistols to, uh, being able to destroy a planet. There's a little bit of escalation there that I'm not quite sure I followed, <laughs> right. but, yeah, the, the but cause and effect. I don't know. Really sure those two go together. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll go back to our caves and blow the planet. Up. Anyway. Uh, no, no, I think I'm, I think I'm good. Like we said, overall, you, you don't, you don't peak, pick them apart until they're no longer enjoyable. And I, I did enjoy this episode. So, Yep, it was, it was nice. Had a little twist, and you know, it's cool. Something different. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into season three, episode six. Eat me. Watch your language. Yeah, yeah. I, my brain went to feed me there for a second, and I was trying to make a, uh, a little shop of horrors uh, reference, but we'll just roll right past that because it doesn't work anyway. Crichton, Dargo, Jewel, and Chiana are traveling in a badly damaged transport pod. Uh, that's where we pick up this episode. The damage was apparently caused by Jewel. Hmm, she's hey. really fitting yeah. in nicely. Yeah, hey, you, you've, you're you fit in with the crew now. You're causing problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, you broke it. Yep, you're, you're one of us. They stumble across a Leviathan wearing a control collar, so not Moya. With nowhere to go and their oxygen almost gone, Crichton takes them aboard, saying it's their only option. They dock, and someone jumps on Dargo's back, but is shot down by Chiana. Dargo looks at Crichton and tells him he knew they shouldn't have come. The pod is dead, and Dargo says they need 3K wiring and narium coils to get it operational. Crichton suggests a scavenger hunt. Jules suggests borrowing a transport pod, but Chiana has checked, and there are none. It looks as though the Leviathan has been abandoned. As Dargo and Crichton go on a search, Jules stays behind in the pod, and Crichton tells Chiana to stay with her. You see, never slip the party. <laughs> yeah, that won't matter at all later. During their search, Dargo stumbles across some bones, which he thinks may be Sebastian. The Leviathan is severely damaged and dying, and Dargo finds the 3K wire. Crichton notices that this ship is now oozing pus. Dargo comments that it's diseased, and Crichton wonders if it was hit by some biochemical weapon, since there are no DRDs. Dargo wants to go get the Narium coils and leave, but Crichton wants to get to the ship's pilot so they know what they're dealing with. So they split up. Okay, so never also subdivide the split up party. <laughs> well, yeah, that's how you fix a bad decision. You make a worse decision. Yeah, you, you make it even worse. Yep. Chiana is preparing to leave Jewel to join the treasure hunt, but a scared Jewel tells her that they don't have any weapons, violence, or war on her planet. So Chiana hits her with a gun twice. Jewel punches her back, and Chiana replies, Violence, you'll get the hang of it. <laughs> Welcome to the crew. <laughs> yeah. Fast learner. Crichton goes to Pilot's Den. The fact that they call him pilot really makes it confusing, but the, the this pilot, not our pilot, <laughs> and scares two scavenger people off. As he approaches the pilot, it starts to growl at him, and Crichton notices that it only has one arm. Crichton says he's not going to hurt him and asks what happened. The pilot responds by asking Crichton to kill him. 
Meanwhile, Chiana finds a group of scavenger people eating, and they eye her, and she then tries to fend them off. Back in the control pilot's den, the pilot again asks Crichton to kill him and says that his arms were cut off. Crichton is horrified to realize that every time this pilot's arms grow back, the scavengers just cut them off again and wonders why they would do that. Pilot reveals that the scavengers eat them. And there we have the episode title. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of a, a food issue going on in this episode, I think. Yeah, they need, they need crackers. That's what they need. You think that would matter? Yeah, um, in this case, I think it might. <laughs> we found the answer. The scavenger people try to eat Chiana, and she starts shooting at them. Dargo hears that and runs towards and runs toward her, but they meet. He meets an alien man on the way. Dargo asks where Chiana is when the man encases him in a bubble. Crichton finds the man and some scavengers dragging Dargo when one jumps on him. Chiana hears and joins him, but all they can do is watch as the man sticks a large needle into Dargo's brain, and the scavengers start to eat him. Chiana shoots them and kneels over Dargo's now lifeless body. Uh oh, we're uh. Losing crew members already. Yeah, but he's still in the credits, at least this episode. So, No spoilers. Chiana and Crichton are dragging Dargo's body when they spot some scavengers eating the ship and Crichton shoots them. Meanwhile, Jewel is still alone, trying not to be scared, but everything is starting to get to her. She goes to leave the bay, but when the door opens by itself, she runs back to the transport. Chiana and Crichton drag Dargo to the pilot's den and Crichton asks Pilot where he can get Narium coils. Pilot tells Crichton that the Leviathan, called Ravu, was a detention ship for the criminally insane. They were part of a convoy transporting a man called Karvok. The convoy was attacked by Skarans, or Skarans, and Karvok escaped, and Ravu, unable to starburst due to the control collar, drifted into the uncharted territories. They were adrift with nowhere to go and no food. Crichton asks why the other prisoners are now scavengers, but Pilot reveals that there were no other prisoners. Karvok was so dangerous, he was the only one. The scavengers are actually the peacekeeper crew. As they speak, Chiana burns Dargo's body and, with Crichton's help, drops it over the edge of the walkway into the chamber below. So, that's going to be tough to come back from. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess he's done. So. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. No more, no more Dargo. Karvok vents the den and then enters. He knocks out Crichton and chases Chiana. He encases her in a bubble from which two Chianas emerge. What? <laughs> Carvok grabs one and the other refuses to help and runs away as the victim Chiana has her brain sucked out. Dun, dun, dun. Carvok goes to a cell and talks to a prisoner who turns out to be Dargo. Hey. He says that he saved Dargo from the Sarai, which is what he calls the former peacekeepers. Dargo asks what he did with Chiana and he says that she's very pretty, but the last he heard, she was having her best bits eaten by the Sarai. Dargo asks what Karvok did to him. He saw a clone. Karvok says that it wasn't a clone. He twinned him. Two Dargos equal and original. Dargo asks why, and Karvok says they're going to make babies. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> this just gets weirder and weirder. That's <laughs> the weirdest dating game I've ever seen. He, he says that he could twin Dargo again, but once twinned 30 or 40 times, you become like the Zarai. He, he says he'll spare Dargo the pain as long as he'll breed with one of the over-twin Zerai. Rovu starts to move, so Karvok leads Dargo. As Crichton is looking for the central plexus chamber, Pilot screams, and by the time Crichton has returned, he finds that Pilot has been killed by a harpoon shot to the head. Meanwhile, Moya has starburst without any warning in response to a distress call. 
from Talon. He is floating adrift, and neither he nor Krace respond to comms. Aaron goes over and sees extensive damage and finds Krace unconscious. Hmm, maybe that'll come back. Rigel goes over to town and tells Aaron that she's not taking Krace back to Moya. He says that Talon's supposed to be the meanest, hardest ship ever, yet somebody or something beat the yachts out of him. Aaron disagrees and says that if they can keep him alive, they can find out what happened. Back on that other Leviathan, Jewel, still alone, contemplates shooting herself. Meanwhile, Crichton gets Ravu moving, and Chana hides from Karvok, who's on the move, and finds Dargo with a Zarai woman all over him. He asks for help, and she wonders if she's not interrupting something. She finds some Narium coils and then sets him free. She wants to leave, but Dargo says he'll go to Pilot's Den and meet her at the transport in a quarter of an arm. Again, spilling the party. Don't <laughs> stop. <laughs> stop. Yeah, there are no lessons learned in this episode. Crichton tells Carvok that he's preparing for Starburst, which will destroy Ravu because of the control collar. So Carvok shoots at him. Meanwhile, Jewel still contemplating suicide, but as Chana comes in, she pulls the trigger and misses. Yes. Okay. Good, good job there. Yeah, that would have been, you know, that would have kept him from having to add her to the credits, at least. Carvok attempts to suck out Crichton's brain as Crichton initiates the starburst. Carvok gets stuck in the controls, and as the Zerai go to eat him, the Twinner explodes and catches Crichton on the way out. Dargo and Crichton run to the transport, where Crichton is surprised to see Jewel, and even more surprised to see Chiana alive. As they get on the pod, Crichton walks through the door, and is surprised to see Jewel alive, and even more surprised to see a twin of himself. What? <laughs> yeah, again, repercussions. The transport escapes as the control collar rips Rovu apart, and the two Crichtons stare at each other awkwardly. Back on Moya, Dargo tells Stark of how weird it was to see himself, even only for a tenth of a microt, and all he remembers is it was a corpse. Chenna says it was just a copy, a fake, but Dargo says that Carvac told him it was an original and equal. But how does he know he's not the copy? And Chana says, you just know. Cut to the two Crichtons playing rock, paper, scissors. As Aaron and Rigel watch, and she asks, how is he? Rigel replies, still tied. As the two Crichtons continue to throw the same results. They recall Carvok's words. They are both the original Crichton. No differences. Perfectly equal. Uh, a little trivia about this episode. Robu's pilot is voiced by Sean Masterson who was in charge of the team that controlled Moya's pilot. He provided the voice on set during the first three seasons when Lanny Tupu later overdubbed in ADR. Or which Lanny Tupu later overdubbed. Korvok was originally going to be created with a combination of makeup and animatronics with his eyes on stalks and wearing a form of a straitjacket. But this was changed after Shane Bryant was cast. When confronting each other in Pilot's Tear, Crichton refers to Korvok as a sick, hammer-horror son of a bitch. In the 1970s, Shane Bryant, the actor portraying Carvok, starred in several films from the British studio renowned for its classic horror movies, Hammer Film Productions. Carvok's method of extracting and digesting brains was inspired by the Vincent Price movie, The Abominable Dr. Fibes. Tommy McIntosh was so involved in the scene that her heartbeat was audible on the soundtrack when Jewel was terrified. Ian Watson wanted the characters to deteriorate as the episode wore on, so he worked up four levels of makeup for the principal cast. Once shooting on the episode was complete, it took four days for the corridor sets to be returned to normal. And this episode is considered to be one of the most controversial in the series history. So, thoughts? <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is a really, really dark episode. I can kind of see why they may have said it's controversial, and I guess we'll get into that. And like we said, hey, we're recording this before Halloween, so hey, good job. That fit right into the mood. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was, I was watching that right before we, uh, you know, went uh, to record, and it was kind of funny that I'm like sitting here kind of upstairs by myself, and mostly in the dark, trying to catch up on this, and <laughs> I was like... Yeah, this is this is pretty fitting. <laughs> <laughs> this is freaky weird. <laughs> and like at, at least last episode, which was a little dark, you at least had hope that they would save the people that they were dealing with. Uh, here, uh, there's not anybody really to save but themselves. Uh, you know, Crichton, I guess, tried his best to save uh, Rovu and the pilot, but yeah, it didn't work out so well. So this just became your basic uh, survival horror story, which, you know, hey, like we said, fitting for the time. Yeah, and I think Rovu was probably pretty far gone based on the uh, level of disease or whatever was causing the, the pus and, you know, being constantly eaten by the by the survivors and stuff. So, yeah, it probably wasn't in the cards. And I think while we were off on our predictions from what the title could mean, this was a, a mad episode worthy of the Mad Hatter's Tea Party, if, if I think anything ever was. So I'm calling it a partial win there that this, this was, may not have been really Alice in Wonderland themed, but it was pretty mad. Yeah, it was definitely crazy out there for sure. <laughs> and yeah, I guess the title, episode title does literally mean what happened. So I guess you got your quasi-zombie cannibalism. Thanks a lot for those images, Farscape. Appreciate that. Definitely one of the more on-the-nose titles for an episode. You know, it, it does what it says on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it says, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, it's kind of cool. I guess this is your basic bottle show. Uh, all they have is the existing sets, just Moya and the transport pod. So they probably saved a good deal of money and you know, not a lot of talking extras or actors. You just got to dress up the existing Moya sets to make it look a little different, like a rundown Leviathan, make it turn off most of the lights to get your dark, secret, sneaky, depressing, evil, scary ship. And you got a whole different ship. Although I guess the trivia that you, you said did take them almost a week to put the sets back to normal. So I don't know how much really they did save, but. <laughs> True. Although, you know, other than, you know, one major uh, villain character, the rest were probably extras and, and, you know, didn't take a whole lot of extra cast and probably not any, if any CGI, right? So but probably some, some cost savings there. Uh, a lot of practical effects that um, they're pretty used to. Yeah. You just got to get some liquid to drip from the ceiling for like pus and, you know, just you know, take off some of a uh, pilot's arms and plug them up and hey, there you go. A whole, whole different set. Yeah. He, he really, you know, sold it, you know, being willing to sacrifice a couple arms for this episode. So. Yeah. I have to hand it to him. Hey. Give me a hand. Ready that was a reach. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> High five. No way. And uh, yeah, I mean, for for a second there, they really did have you thinking that Dargo was dead. At least, I mean, for, in the beginning, no, because they're just dragging him along. So I'm thinking that, okay, he's, he's, he's really alive. They just couldn't really tell since they didn't really have time to check. And then Chiana sets him on fire and throws him over the side of the pilot's den into... Like we talked about last time, the badly designed abyss with no railings in the center of the of Leviathans. And then it wasn't until, I don't know, the next act of the show that you realize, oh, when Chiana gets twinned, oh, that's probably what happened to Dargo. Yeah, the, the fire thing threw me because, you know, I, like you say, up until that point, you're just like, oh, you know, he'll get better. It's just a flesh wound. And then they're like, no, no, we're serious. And they light him on fire and, and toss him into the, the center of a Death Star, which is how things blow up. But... Yeah, I started looking for, okay, so 
obviously we don't we're not going to lose a major character. We just lost a major character. I don't think we're going to lose another one this quickly. So I was thinking, well, maybe it's a you, you kind of look for your outs, right? So maybe this is a, a this whole thing's like a mind illusion, kind of like when John was captured by those other super smart alien things that had the wormhole technology, and, and we we're all just in an illusion or something. Um, so it was a different. I was wrong there, but you know, obviously we were looking for what's what's really going on, right? Something more than what we thought. Yeah, and, and why is Gina carrying around something that she can sprinkle on somebody and cause them to set on fire? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You you don't carry that with you? Yeah, not right now. It's in my other other pants. Yeah. I, I don't leave home without it, man. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, you know, hey, you, know, you have what you have. You know, you never know when you got to start a fire somewhere. You know? <laughs> yeah. John carries his, his uh, blaster, which I just forgot the name of. That would have been much better. And um, Winona. Winona. I wanted to call it Vero, but that was uh, Jane's gun from. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Firefly. But. Yeah, I, you know, Janet just carries um, flame liquid. It's fine. So, yeah, so speaking of uh, not quite cloning, but the, let's, let's talk about that for a second here. So what do you think about the, the twinning process? You know, it's not cloning, per se, so it's it's a true duplicate. It, you know, you have exactly the same memories up until the point you got twinned, kind of like, you know, those transporter duplicates in Star Trek. Although, I, I'm not, I guess the only thing that Carvac was using it for was for food? Because he sticks his little prod in their brains and then injects it into his brain or something although although hey i mean he is criminally insane so i'll give him that one and he's also the sole prisoner on a whole leviathan lots of lots of peacekeepers to guard him so i guess that tells you he's really really a bad dude <laughs> yeah i again this is one of those where i can't let myself nitpick it because it, it breaks down pretty quick right why is this dude on on a prison ship have this technology that is super powerful that nobody else has seemed to we, we haven't encountered anywhere else in farscape and if he needs to drain brains and eat i'm not quite sure why he's doing that so we don't really ever get a real explanation for what's going on there but even more important you know with something that powerful you you know we kind of get away from the whole death thing right because you just have extra copies of your crew floating around yeah although apparently the more you do that to them the less they become with it and become just mindless food craving zombies i guess so probably yeah yeah gotta work out the kinks on that i guess yeah yeah so that that was where the, the show lost me uh, i'll have to admit uh, i try not to let my suspension of, of belief or whatever you want to call it you know and and take it take me out of the episode but they're a hundred percent identical copy until you do it 20 or 30 times but if it was identical it wouldn't deteriorate so how do the how do perfect copies deteriorate anyway yeah i i got hung up on that for a good five minutes so yeah, or or maybe it's like like photocopies. You know, you, if you keep copying the copy, then eventually it gets a little little smudged. I don't know. <laughs> well, in that case, there's a percentage degradation, and you'd be able to tell between the two Crichtons by because there'd be a one percent degradation or something, right? Yeah. Well, hey, maybe we'll find out in the next episode. Yeah, there we go. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so like like we said, apparently that's a way of him getting food, uh, and then I guess the slowly insane people are left. I guess have to get their food, so they just eat the ship because it's a living ship so hey why not giant smorgasbord so <laughs> I guess. yeah i'll give him credit for figuring out that you know if you leave pilot alive you can just keep coming back for arms you know yeah so they got, they got enough not smarts left to know that you know don't don't kill the big thing just just keep chopping arms off every uh day or week or three or whatever and yeah they know where to go to get a handout so yeah <laughs> And when things get bad, just go munch on the walls or the deck plating or the whatever. <laughs> so, 
So, hey, did we say it was Halloween? (laughs) (laughs) This this is an episode you could really sink your teeth into. That's right. This is Farscape's uh, thriller uh, montage. I don't know. (laughs) Homage. (laughs) So, let's see. What else? Um, Jewel. I guess we have to talk about her. Well, we don't have to, but let's talk about her. Yeah, She's still mostly annoying and makes bad decisions, I guess, which kind of got them there. Uh, I don't know why she just didn't go up in the transport pod and close the ramp if she was that scared uh, that no one's going to get in. You know, maybe at least save your potential suicide when there's no way you can get out and you're the last one and you know your blaster's got like you know a couple shots left. Whatever. So I, I'm just hoping because I can't quite remember, but I, I, I guess it has to. Like this is probably just her character arc, right? You know, she starts off being naive and unsure and un, uncoordinated, and over time, you know, she gets her self confidence built up. You know, learns her place in the crew, you know, learn some skills, like how to actually shoot a rifle accurately. I don't know, something, but I'm hoping it, you know, her arc improves here. It's, it's only been two episodes, right? So, yeah, right, two-ish, so. Yeah, ish. Three, whatever, yeah. Yeah. No, I'll, no, I'll, I guess, no, I guess four now. Yeah, right. Uh, you're right, this is four. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll second what you said there. I, I, I'm not digging it. She's she's not gelled yet, and then maybe I just have it, like you say, it'll take some time for them to figure it out. Uh, it's rough when you introduce characters this far into a show. I mean, we're you know pretty good ways in at this point, and to 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 feel like they don't know what they're doing with it is, is kind of rough, right? You don't know what what they're trying to do. Maybe they have a plan, but it's not coming across. It's just kind of she's just there. So I don't know. I don't know. Like it, it, it's got to get better. Can't get worse. But um, yeah. That's that's probably the roughest part of these episodes to me is just trying to figure out what to do with her. Yeah, and I guess we didn't really know like when did Virginia Hay decide that she was done being Xan, right? What like was she going to be? Because it sounds like they had the plot line out that she was going to be on the planet. You know, she's going to get put in soil and get healed and get better in a couple episodes. But then, yeah, at what point did the actors bow out and they're like, okay, let's get somebody else? And then oh, or maybe Jewel is just going to be like a throw off, like a throwaway couple episodes and then go away. But they kept her on because they had a spot on the crew, so to speak. I don't know. Yeah, although, and maybe I'm, I, there, I'm sure there's somebody got a better idea than me on why they, they felt like they needed that extra slot because you've already added Stark since the beginning and you've added Chiana. So it's not like we have to you know, fill all the bunks on Moya or something. You know, it's, it's, it'd have been fine if, if Zan was only going to be a temporary cut, which obviously they decided that wasn't the case. That, that, why even bring anybody in for that that time period? You know, especially when you've got Crace to deal with and all these other people. We got plenty of bodies moving around, but but hey, uh, yeah, we'll, I'm we'll also see. not in charge of writing a TV show, so we'll see. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> There's reasons why no one listens to us about TV shows. No. <laughs> that may be it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I guess we get uh, some not quite th- like we get some minor plot lines, which I guess well, not guess. I mean. They dropped them there and then left it hanging, so I guess they're going to become major plot lines in the future. First, something apparently happened to Crace and Talon really bad, and something so bad that Rigel points out that you know destroyed almost destroyed one of the best, baddest warships around, and they might be lurking nearby. So we got that to deal with in future episodes. But the big question now is, what do you do with two John Crichtons? <laughs> Yeah, so we got two of him running around, and does that mean we have two Harveys too? If he's truly a twin, down to I guess genetic and memory and whatever, then is there another Harvey floating around? Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm sure neither plotline will cause problems later, but yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, yeah. For a, for a bottle episode, we sure have a lot left to 
to figure out as we go forward. So fun to come. Yep. Anything else about our uh, Leviathan of Horror to, to, to talk about? No, I, I think we've we've excavated as much as we can out of this grave, so we're good. Yeah, we, we bit off just enough. Uh. <laughs> hey, hey, I tried. What do you want? I don't know. All, all, all the cannibalism jokes are taken. I don't know what else to go. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's dead and buried. We can move on. Yep. Shoot it in the head. Move on. It's over. Okay. All right, so let's let's wrap these up uh, before we go here. I, I think overall, I like the first one, the the best of these two. You know, is a nice twist on the traditional time travel trope. Say that three times fast, time travel trope. And you know, had to end on not everything being perfect as it was before. You know, just good enough to not really mess with things, but still, you know, you affected the timeline and you caused needless deaths that weren't there before for sure, right? And you know, they weren't there before. You know, they had great character moments with how the crew, you know, try to deal with that situation among themselves and trying to reassure the people in the fort. So yeah, I guess overall, it's, it's, a, it's a thumbs up. Good episode. Uh, yeah, I'll completely agree with that. It, it, you know, I don't know how much bleed over it had, you know, lasting effects, anything. We didn't really get any commentary on it after the ep- in the second episode. So, you know, I don't know that it was, you know, shattering us in terms of character change or growth or anything like that but it was a neat take on on time travel uh we got to see a little bit of the past of some of the different cultures and uh yeah they they they, our our plucky heroes didn't come out unscathed so yeah and i guess they learned that next time they go back in the past talk to each other first before doing something stupid (laughs) yeah and the second episode it wasn't bad uh it was just kind of really well, it wasn't kind of. It was dark and twisted. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's no way to there's no way to get around that one. Which again, I mean, that's something that that Farscape is kind of known for. Like, it, it's a it's a darker kind of sci-fi. You know, it's off, goofy, weird sci-fi, and sometimes semi-gory, I guess. So yeah, I can see how this was kind of controversial. I guess given the the themes and at least of what they could show on screen, you know, it was it was violent without being like over the top gory, since you really can't go as far as I guess you can 20 years later, you know, on cable TV back then, or at least on syndicated TV back then. You know, so it's just kind of gross enough you know, to do what I had to do. So it's it's not like in the in the bottom tier, like where we have no tiers on here. We just call it like, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, right? So it's like, it wasn't the worst episode. So average, I guess. You know, plus you get your little feature plotline nuggets of Crace and Talon and two Crichtons to deal with. So, okay. Yeah, um, I'm not a huge horror fan, right? I mean, I don't, I don't go out of my way to watch horror movies or anything like that. So, with that said, it definitely fits in the average side for me. Definitely not on the on the bottom. I mean, we've you know we've definitely seen a lot worse <laughs> yeah. episodes. So, de- de- by no means am I, you know, I think at this point we've got an, enough high bar episodes that saying it's average is not necessarily bad. It's just you know, it's not one of our top tiers. So. That being said, you know, we get some cool items to follow up on, as you as you indicated. So, you know, there there's there's good stuff that can come out of it, uh, even if you don't really take into the horror stuff. And it, it was, it, I think it was well done. You know, I didn't have trouble following it, and you could see everything that was going on. So, yeah, maybe a slightly above average, but but really good. You know, overall. Yep. Yeah. So far, no stinkers yet in season three. So we'll see if that continues. And speaking of continuing, next time. We'll have Season 3, Episode 7, Thanks for Sharing, and Episode 8, Green-Eyed Monster. 
So our usual guessing game of what does that mean? Thanks for sharing. Well, I guess we're sharing two Crichtons now. So, and Crichtons are sharing the same memories. At least they were up until last episode. I guess they have to share amongst the crew. So I'm, I'm hoping or guessing something with that, because that's like the big major plot element, you know, the, one of the two bigger ones from last episode, from this episode. You know, how are you to deal with two Crichtons? Because they didn't go away, you know, so they're still there. So what's going to happen? Uh, green-eyed monster. I don't think any of the cast has green eyes that I'm aware of, so it's going to be something else. First thing that came to mind is usually jealousy is called the green-eyed monster. So is somebody on the crew jealous of somebody else? Maybe one of the Crichtons, or they're jealous of the Crichtons, or something, or one of the Crichtons is jealous of the other Crichton. I don't know. Or, then again, like, eat me, we can just go the little route and say that they encounter a monster with green eyes. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you, you, you never know. Um, my, my take maybe for thanks for sharing, you know, I'm, I'm leaning more towards maybe that has something to do with the Crace plotline, but I could be wrong. And and then for the the green eyed monster, I'm gonna completely agree with you there that it's it's I think it's jealousy, and I think maybe we've got an issue with uh, one Aaron and two Crichtons, right? You know, I mean, you know, that's gonna be a an issue depending on how she responds. Yeah, and how long that, the, that's the two awkward. Crichtons? Yeah, how long the two Crichtons hang around? Is it just like one and done, or is this gonna become a major sub major set of episodes, or what? You don't know, right? So I can't remember. Like I said before we recorded, I don't remember the two Crichton bits, but. Yeah, just just freeze the one and keep him as a backup. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, if you want to keep him, the next time he gets a thing in his head and needs some brain sample. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you have the pods still, right? Maybe you just use keep one of those. And... Well, you know, as we saw last episode, at, at any point, you know, some guy can come up and you know stick something in your brain and and you're dead. So just keep backups of your characters around, and you know, you're good to go. So. Yep. Always uh, make a backup. That's important. Two yeah. slave slots remaining. You're. You know. <laughs> Backup your files every day. That's all, that's that's all right. I ask. Right. It's a time machine backup. All right. So that is your homework for next time, whenever that will be. And we'll see you then. Goodbye. See ya. Maybe it's a Thanksgiving theme episode to keep in track with the holiday. Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so, well, all the eating was in this episode. Yeah, so they already had the big feast. So, yeah, it was Halloween and Thanksgiving at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> same time, we covered. So, maybe it's I Christmas bet. next time. So you're you're sharing. Right. You, you only bought one present for Crichton. I got to get two because there's two of them. I don't know. You know. See, thanks for sharing. That's your Christmas episode. That's right. You, you can both share this present because I only got you one present. <laughs> Christmas trees are green, green, Grinch, Grinch was green, maybe, the, anyway, I'm stretching. Hey, there we go. Crossover with the Grinch that stole Christmas. <laughs> and two Crichtons, mad they only got one present. There, that's it. We solved it. All right. Yeah. And that will go in the after tag. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still recording, so you're good. <laughs> yeah, me too. So. All right, good. <laughs> All right, I'm stopping recording now.